Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello, you are very welcome to this special bonus episode. This is a recording of the first live Fascinated show. Now, before we start, I want to tell you that I will be on tour in October with my show Garoad Less Travelled. Uh, you can check out garoadfairly.com for the dates we've added and there will be some more added onto that as well. There's a new batch of Fascinated on the way. Woohoo! The first one will feature the fantastic Shelley Poole from the 90s band Alicia's Attic. I just enjoyed talking to her so much. If you don't know Alicia's Attic, well, you have about a week to check them out. Nah, maybe it'll be 10 days. You know how I operate. I'm not always bang on. You can start your Alicia's Attic research with this little clip. Click my heels together three times. They sparked a little, but nothing happened. And the This live episode was recorded at the Cork Comedy Festival last Saturday and I was joined by one of my favourite guests so far, Lily Higgins, and also by former White House correspondent Gina London. So dim the lights and pretend you are with us. This is Fascinated, live from Cork. Um, you're all very welcome. This is the first ever live recording of my podcast, Fascinated. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's quite exciting. Now, does anybody listen? Yes. Okay, now here's the thing. Some of you are lying. <laughs> because I, I don't know if you know about podcasts, they have figures. Like, you can, the, like I, I have empirical evidence that some of you have just lied to me. Um, because that happens each week. Because if I release an epi- episode on a Thursday, uh, and then I go to dinner with my family, like there's nine in my family, and we're all around the dinner table, and they say, oh, has everyone downloaded my new episode? And they go, yes. And I go, no, now two of you haven't. <laughs> and you're supposed to be family. Um, the, thing, the thing about podcasting is, I think what it does for comedians is it gives them something to do. It feels like they've actually got something finished, because like, com- we never finish anything uh, as comedians. We're always like changing shows or forgetting bits and, you know, we never have anything. It's not like uh, writing a play where it's like it's finished and it's done, but with, with a podcast you go, yes, I finished something. <laughs> yeah, how many people listen to your crowd? About seven, but that's not the point. That's not the point. <laughs> oh yeah, what I love about it is though, we're fascinated, I get to interview people that I genuinely am interested in. That's why it doesn't come out so often. Um, <laughs> And quite difficult to please. Yeah, I was very lucky. I couldn't have asked for two better guests for the first live show. Gina has had the most incredible career on US television as a CNN anchor. She's an author and a communications expert. I met Gina when we both appeared on the Today Show on RTE and we hit it off. She is fantastic. And as you're about to hear, she has some incredible stories. I met her when we were doing the Dahi and, and Maura show, uh, the, the afternoon show. 
uh, we were both on that uh, together, and they were saying, oh, she's from CNN, and I was just absolutely terrified. But we were talking about the Eurovision, so I won. <laughs> um, please welcome to the stage the very, very fantastic Gina London. Thank you very hello, much. Hello, hello. Good afternoon, hello. guys. And, and my daughter right there in the middle. Yay, Lulu. Give Lulu a wave. So, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. It's, it's nice to be here. Emmy Award winning. <laughs> and now living in Cork. Where do you go after you do Emmy? You come to Cork. It's like that old saying. You're like, what did you do? You just won an Emmy. And people used to say, I'm going to Disney World. And you go, I'm going to Cork. Do you, do you remember yeah. what it was like? Do you remember that whole evening must have been like pretty impressive? You know, it was, a, rec it was it. a recognition that, that was sent to me, actually. So it wasn't the actual competition, per se. But to, to be real, perfectly honest, it was the 9-11 aftermath. Okay. And so they, they singled out several people who had covered it, and then they actually sent out recognitions in the wake of that. So in some ways, it's bittersweet, because it was actually for a lot of my interviewing of the victims' families right after 9-11, not to bring this way down, but <laughs> to... Um, when did you start with CNN? I started with CNN in 1995. 1995? I was 10. <laughs> Because CNN, that was the first. That was the first. It was the very first 24-hour news network started by then and still Maverick, Ted Turner. I mean, it was an amazing endeavor in the 80s. That was before my time, um, in terms of reporting abilities. Anyway, he yeah, he started it in I Atlanta with money from his family and a dream, and they called it Chicken Noodle News <laughs> internally. Now I think they internally people call it Clinton News Network, but that's not true. <laughs> That was the first time then that, I suppose, journalists, as well as just reporting the facts, because uh, as opposed to the news being uh, an hour, it was, it was 24 hours. So journalists' opinions and, uh, I suppose, political leanings and stuff all started to come into play. Is that fair to say? Well, opinions? no, I wouldn't say that the leanings would... What, what it was great for, in all seriousness, what it was great for was it was great for covering breaking news. And because it was, instead of getting your newspaper the night before, the night, the day after, or getting your news that evening that had happened, or you, you had that, that delay. It was almost in some ways, it was the beginning of what we have today with Twitter and all that immediacy that comes from people recording things on their phone and that sort of thing. But it was the beginning of that real on the spot breaking news coverage that could continue long after the daily show newscast evening shows or the newspapers were put to bed because we didn't have social media at that time. But in far, as far as leanings go, I can say having worked at CNN and actually briefly worked at Fox, that in the field anyway, you didn't, you absolutely were, you tried to be independent. There were some, there were some ways that they actually said by management when the Iraq war was happening, for example, we weren't to call them our troops, US troops, we called them the international forces. And we didn't call them okay. foreign, was actually a word that was not allowed at CNN because it had negative connotations. So in, okay. for example, you'll hear things during the immigration discussion now with Syria and whatever, you'll hear it talked about different ways through the CNN lens, through the MSNBC lens, through the Sky lens, through the BBC lens now, and then through the Fox lens. So you can pick up little things about where their leanings are, but it, my experience was, was very neutral. My favorite thing about the 24-hour news that we have now is Sky. Um, I always like to watch to see, you know, if you can catch Cave Orly eating a salad. <laughs> and the other way, some, like, someone spins the camera the wrong way and she's just like, <laughs> looking daggers with like perspex. <laughs> Yeah, you have uh, to be careful about those, but the, but the camera's still being on you when, you when you don't know that they are. And this did not, I swear to God, this is not my story. But a colleague of mine did have her microphone was still hot after she left the set and went to the bathroom. Now, it didn't go out on the broadcast, but it went out on the satellite. 
And even then, people could have access to the satellite and so could have an audio version, like a podcast, like an early podcast of bodily functions. Not mine, though, I swear to God. With a friend. <laughs> but, um, one of the things that you covered, uh, uh, you were... We were just talking backstage because uh, my, my knowledge of the um, of American polit politics uh, begins and ends with the West Wing. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you were actually you, you covered the Clinton. Yeah. So when Charlie Sheen, no, when Char when Charlie Sheen's dad was the president of the United States, right? Um, no, I did I did cover the the. So your the press president. secretary would have been uh, Dee Dee Myers, just aside. Uh, she was uh, one of the people that developed the West Wing as well. She, she was the first, she, and then George Stephanopoulos after that, and there was a guy that, ran the, that actually ran the Clinton White House press corps named Jeff Eller, who be, he hired Dee Dee, he hired George Stephanopoulos, and actually he and I still train together. We were in Ghana last summer through the U.S. State Department working with each of their 60 spokespeople there in the Ghanaian government. So there's this real sort of legacy, and now here we are potentially looking at another Clinton White House. So, it, you know, what comes around goes around, apparently. Did, did you cover the election, the, the Clinton election? I didn't cover the Clinton election. The, fir the first cycle, I was actually working for the Democratic Party when he ran, and too much 90s information, but the, um, James Carville, who was the man who sort of made Clinton when he was running as the governor of Arkansas, and then Carvel said, hey, we're going to make this guy, and we're going to keep all, and this is true. I remember sitting in the room when he said we had to keep the skirts in the closet oh. on this one. Wow. And then he went on, and, and Clinton was president, and then I moved from the Democratic Party to work for the local Fox News, the local station, and so local news is national news, and then we were covering Clinton, and then I ended up working for CNN, as, first as a freelance writer and then as a, as a full-time reporter. By the time that, during that second cycle, then that Clinton actually in the blue dress, and that navy dress and the cigar, and all of that and we came to that. light. <laughs> and yeah, so I do have my daughter in the audience. <laughs> But it, but in, but you I'm know sure I did very sanitized versions of this. Yeah, before. well, you know I did actually. <laughs> speaking to children, though, I was one of the first. I was the first person to read on on air the Kenneth Star report, and that the producers had found those most salacious paragraphs, and it was at three o'clock in the afternoon, the, in East Coast time, that that came out, and I said to the executive producer, "Kids are coming home from school. Read it." Yeah, oh my are, god. <laughs> People are Parents, ironing. get your kids out. The president has apparently been very naughty. Oh my God. So you two reported that 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Yep. Yeah. New, news apparently has no PG rating sometimes, yeah. God. And that must have gone all over America, was it? That was all it was, over. That was network, was Yeah, oh yeah, it. that was network. That was sure, absolutely. Because the, the difference, I, I found this really strange when I was in America, that they have local news, which is really, really strange, because local news, you look at it and you go... They, they say things like, uh, a man has a firearm, and then you realize, that's around the corner. Yeah, exactly. It would be like if there was a cove, like a cove news station. And there's station a cove news station saying yeah. it's, it's or, or a fingless one, which is where I'm from, well, which in fairness will be busy. That would be busy. <laughs> 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 we need to hire people. <laughs> so when you, uh, you were reporting, were you in the briefing room every day? Uh, yeah, pretty much. We, were, we would be in there. Well, it, it would depend. If there was actually a, a briefing, which there isn't every day, if we were in there, then we'd ask questions to the press secretary, occasionally to the president, and then we'd go right outside in front of the White House lawn. There's a whole, you've probably seen the wide shots of this or on West Wing or House of Cards or whatever, and you'll see there's a whole string of us. And it's really funny when there's a big breaking news, it's kind of 
the reality of it is, is so much different than what you see on TV. And you'd be standing there getting ready to go at the top of the hour. You've got your little IFB, your earpiece in, and they're going, okay, you're coming down in three, two, one. And as soon as you begin to speak, there's a cacophony of everybody saying essentially the same thing, <laughs> but just a little bit different timing. And it's really freaky. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that this is the hardest job in the world, but it is weird to be saying, and then the White House today, and then the White House today, and the White House today. You're like, oh, no, i got to focus. i got to focus. But wait, I like what that person's saying better. Hold on. <laughs> And the typical day in there, are you waiting around to see what happens or are you trying to find angles in well, there? Well, no, there's always that. We, we know what's going on. I mean, what's the stories of the day? Or does the story have legs? Are we going to, is it, for example, the first day that, that we were hearing, the PBS broke the story, public broadcasting broke the story on Monica Lewinsky. And I can remember being in, down in the, the, Warren of the White House, where the press is. It's, it's like the grubbiest, nastiest. They've just redone it a year ago, and a friend of mine who still works there said it's actually now gone from really pity to sort of kind of okay. But it's really grubby, and you have like little computers and laptops, and it's all just like CBS is right next to NBC, which is right next to Sky. I mean, it's just, you're all crammed in there. And so we were hearing Monica, we were trying to say, now what's her name again? Monica Lewinsky, okay, so we know we're gonna go with that story, and then it continues to pick up, and I mean, it all feeds off of, off of everybody else. You know how this sort of stuff goes. If it's picked up in the New York Times and we continue to run with it, if Fox is doing something on it, then we've gotta do our version of it, and it just sort of in an, is built, builds that way, the stories. Now there's, at the time, there's not so much investigative journalism anymore in the TV newsland because of its 24-hour nature, so you have to depend on more in-depth publications, and with the money drawing up for journalism, you're seeing less and less of that, and Twitter and different like BuzzFeed and things like that are breaking stories these days, or TMZ, which broke the Brangelina story. That must be really annoying, actually, to, for, the, the, these, for people that it's work It's the in change. I mean, it's, it's the change. I mean, professional journalism is a different beast than it used to be, because you just have different things pulling you in different ways now, in different obligations. I mean, by the time I was leaving, we were filing online. We were, of course, always doing things for radio as well. We do CNN, CNN International, all the local affiliates, online and the radio. And then right about the time that I left, it was, now you got to do 11 tweets before 11 a.m. And you, you sort oh of get into this almost sort of, you've not seen yet the John Oliver take on journalism. It came out like three or four weeks ago. If any of you follow, follow him and his takes are really good, there's a great one where it's got this real tough journalist. She's really wanting to break this story about corruption in, lo in local government. And the newsroom meeting goes, no, 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 there's a raccoon cat. There's a raccoon <laughs> cat. Everyone's going to love this story. It's, it's trending right now on Twitter. we got to follow that. And the guy's like, what about the... Well, you know, your day will come for that story. <laughs> but right now it's the raccoon cat. Um, Looking back at Monica Lewinsky, that was a really that was the time before 9/11 when things could be salacious. Yeah, nobody died yeah. in that one. I mean, just maybe someone's reputation. Yeah, uh, but actually looking back on that, I, I was thinking about the Monica Lewinsky thing during the week. At the time, it was really like, oh, what a little tramp! Like she has defiled the commander in chief. <laughs> Whereas now it's it's changed. You kind of think. How did we end up thinking that? Like, well, she, I mean, she claims to be patient zero of. Uh, internet Shaming, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Or, the, or the trolling or whatever. Yeah, and, and she had a, a nice piece, I think it was in Vanity, Vanity Fair. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, recently, yeah. And, and I think at the time, though, there were, it, from my point of view, because I was doing some work with Freedom House, which is an NGO for, in, um, for journalists internationally at the time, and so I was going over to Romania a lot, uh, working with independent journalists there while that was breaking. 
And I, it was funny the difference between a lot of people in the United States were saying, how could the president actually abuse an intern and the bimbo factor, and she was completely beneath him in terms of his station. It wasn't peer and affair. It was really... And it was in the Oval Office, so it was our taxpayer dollars going toward whatever he was doing there versus more of an international take on it that we were getting from my friends in, in Romania, for example, in France, too, saying, oh, it is just an affair. You should do this personal life. I mean, it's personal life in the Oval Office. So it felt... It was different, the different views. And actually, I did several takes with, I don't know which stations. It probably was RTE. I did, I did several hits with Irish stations at the time during all of that. And they had the most fun talking with Irish journalists about <laughs> the story. They were just, I mean, <laughs> if there's... How do you spell Lewinsky? Will you write that down for us? No, they were really funny. They were having a great... I mean, they, they thought it was... They had... Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I mean, at the time, it was such a salacious story. Yeah, but um, I mean, I think you guys in general just have a lot well, more I mean, fun about we, things. We, I think we do have a lot That's of... Why like, I like it here. The entertainment factor of American politics, uh, like at the moment... Oh, like the circus we're providing for you now, yeah. thanks. It's weird. I, I did a show on Dublin Fringe uh, last week, and every single day there were people from Washington, D.C., um, and they would say, well, we're, we're getting out of uh, Washington right now. And then they would say to me, uh, you know, because there's, there's something going on, and we're like... <laughs> There's something going on. Yeah, we know. <laughs> We're not watching soaps anymore. We're watching that. <laughs> like, what do you think is going to be the outcome? Well, there? people ask me because I do a lot of news analysis now on on uh, news talk and on RT as well. And people, just neighbors too, often ask me, well, "What in the world is going on there?" And that's the sad thing is that the whole world is watching this craziness. And I will actually be watching the first debate on Monday live, and then writing yeah. a little article for RTE. They've asked me to do that. And uh, so we're all looking, but it's crazy, this whole, I think Brexit, actually, the unexpected vote that happened there, and people woke up that Friday morning going, whoa, this did not go the way the polls, yeah. we were not expecting the unexpected here, the same could happen in the States, yeah. and the polls are tightening and tightening, and this desire to have anti-establishment, although he's as establishment as you can possibly get. And he's lost more money than he's ever made. Well, and... Because he, like he inherited so much money, that's the exactly. Thing. I mean, if you would take that and exactly and spin that out to, was he really a successful businessman? No, yeah. the answer is no. But he speaks that American dream speak that so yeah. many disenfranchised people feel that are the ones of the conspiracy-minded folks and the paranoia-minded folks, and they it appeals to them. And unfortunately, the opposite person that's up in the major parties. Unfortunately, President Clinton's wife has that unlikability factor yeah. that doesn't make her what you would think would be the runaway win in this election. Yeah. So it's really appalling. And it's funny, though, too, because like you were saying, friends are saying, what's happening? What's happening? And I had said, actually, to my daughter when it was looking like he was going to become, that Trump was going to become the candidate, I had said to Lulu, if he wins, we are never going back to the United States. That is it. And <laughs> fast forward, we are, all our whole family's been planning for years to go to Hawaii this Christmas. And so we were actually doing that. But she said to me, wait a minute, is Hawaii in the United States? Because I thought you said we weren't going to go back. Oh, well, we'll make an exception for Hawaii. <laughs> the, uh, I love watching Trump speak, though, because I think his, um, uh, his speeches are like a comic doing a really hard gig. <laughs> like the stuff, the stuff where the, there's claps and he goes, oh yeah, I'll do more of that. So you want the bigotry stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah, I'll throw that in, yeah. It's true. How do you think the debates are going to go? I mean, because it's going to, like this is, people are saying this will be the decider. Like, yeah, well, and that, and that typically is, is that you'll see that first debate and then you'll get, the media will spin out on how it went and the polls will say what's happened in it. 
and my take is that the expectations are going to be so low for Trump that all he has to do is not say the craziest thing on the planet, and that'll be a win for him, which is tough because it puts Hillary in, in a tough situation because she's going to have to be able to be seen as very statesman yeah. or presidential-like, whereas he just needs to be sort of seen as moderately statesman-like because he's so low. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that it's, it says a lot, though, too, about their styles is that everything that I'm reading, and you all can read the same things, is that he's really wanting to be in the moment and so he's not prepping the same way. And she's been studying briefings. And she's had a psychologist yeah, that's helping yeah. her think about how to get to him. And she's been having people pretend to be him. Whereas he's not doing that. He is probably it's, it's, just it's, really thinking that he's the big man on campus. And that if he just comes up with something, that's going to be enough to carry the day. It's like when my, my sister's a primary school teacher. And she says sometimes, you know, when the dumbest kid in the class does something impressive, <laughs> you give it just so much. Oh, my God. Well done. Yeah. It turns yeah. out you are good with your hands. Well done, well done. Um, and it's got to, honestly, it's got to kill someone like a Hillary who's been 25 years in the, in the public sector, so who's been working her whole life to this moment, and then is being beaten by the, the TV reality show king of The yes. Apprentice. It's got to just yeah, that really hit her hard. God. It's That's like why she's having all those coughing fits, because she can't stomach it. I know. But you know what? It's interesting about that. Uh, do you remember when Hillary fainted? Like, the world kind of ended for a few hours on Facebook with people just looking at it. Um, and you kind of want to say, but ho hold on a second. Like, she's in her 60s. She's been working every day for two years. It's boiling hot in New York, and she's been standing for two hours. And yeah, she can't get a break. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, why, so why, why do we all buy into Hillary's health? Why do we not all apply our own intelligence to the spin? Well, on that, on that one, I think it, you're right. Because had, if they had been more... F see, she's also got... She's not just, she doesn't just have the like, dislikability factor. She also has the, mis the untrustworthy factor. Okay. And so that's where I think that their party actually made a misstep. Her party, her campaign made a misstep. Because they didn't say right away, Friday, when she got the diagnosis of pneumonia, hey, she's sick, she still wants to make this, it's not contagious, whatever you need to say, because I think that's what they did say ultimately, that it wasn't contagious at this point. But... They didn't. They wanted to hold it back. And so then when she did collapse and it was caught on video, and you know darn well, if that had not been caught on video, they would have been like, no, no, she's fine. She just needed to leave early. Yeah. Uh. yeah. And so when she got caught dead to rights and they said, oh, you know, okay, here's what happened. So they made a misstep by not being forthcoming at the first place. Not so much okay. that she was sick, but that she didn't admit it and work around that at the beginning. So there we go, Lulu, honesty is the best policy. We heard it from Mammy. <laughs> <laughs> She's you like, whatever I'm drawing, I'm not uh, paying attention. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you do, I, I wanted to talk about, make sure to talk about this, because um, you, you're a communications trainer, so you train yes. people in how to, um, I suppose, appear professional. I do media training. Oh, now, you know, after, uh, post CNN, How's what do you do? Body language, executive training around professional branding, crisis communication, working with the media, how to do great interviews. I do some consulting for issue campaigns. So I've been to Cambodia working on immunization, thing, those types of things, opposition parties in Macedonia, in Iraq, in Egypt. So it really just depends on the group. But I it is jokes. all of that. Yeah. I just write jokes. Yeah, that's the hardest thing to do. That's my work. I mean... Nobody values, see, nobody values you when you write jokes. That's the thing I've learned. Because ever since I went full-time as a comedian, um, I get phone calls from my mother, you know, at any time. I need to go to the shops. Will you bring me a lift? Uh, and if I, if I have the audacity to say to her, I'm working. 
She'll say, well, you can write jokes in the car, Garode. Can you write jokes in the car? No. no. Don't be ridiculous. But, but you know, we really appreciate, we appreciate you, people that are, that are speakers, because that's one of the hardest things that they'll say is, well, how do I be funny? Like, don't say a joke. I can't tell a joke. I will never get to that punchline. <laughs> I'll go all over, and then as I'm talking, I'll forget what the punchline is. I mean, even when we were going to come to this, and I said it was for the Comedy Fest, Lou said, well, can you be funny? <laughs> no, I can't. So it's, we were it's brutal. Very we were absolutely brutal it's when we were talking to her. But one of the things that was interesting was you, when you were in Egypt, yeah. you were doing some training of women, I suppose, that wanted to uh, run for election mm -hmm. and local council and stuff like that. But you were essentially, uh, you were. I had my life threatened by the Egyptian Egypt, government. Basically. In fact, and it's true. In 2006, right after I'd left CNN, I was the first resident country director for the International Republican Institute, which is one of the big pro democracy NGOs in in the US. And we issued our first ever, the first ever political party assessment report, which duh, not surprisingly said, hey, it's not an even playing field for the Mubarak regime and everybody else. And even though all that language was vetted by Washington and nobody was surprised about what came out, they were surprised how we'd work so well with the media to get it out. So it was on the headlines right. and it was really, I mean, former journalists, I had, we'd identified and worked with all the young journalists in Iraq and the independent minded ones. And so, this ticked off the Mubarak regime, obviously, because they get $7 billion annually from the U.S. government to play nice with Israel. And then what happened was I got called to the principal's office, which in this case was the foreign minister's office of the whole country of Egypt. Oh, God. And, yeah, and when I got called in there, I had two embassy goons that came with me from the U.S. embassy to sort of sit beside me because this was serious stuff. And over tea and lots of little cookies, the deputy foreign minister very nicely said, we're shutting your program down. And you don't have to leave our country. And you're like, oh, no, but can I leave your country? I'm really nervous <laughs> about that. And while that was happening, they were simultaneously faxing then press releases about why I was a spy and why oh this God. was the beginning of an Iraqi-type-led occupation by the U.S. government in Egypt. And so it was hardball, and I was completely naive and unprepared for what this what? I mean, this was like James Bond, but for real. And I'm like, I'm not really a spy. But because we had these independent journalists that were our friends, they had told my staff, which was all Egyptian, hey, here's what's happening. Here's the, they were sending us the facts. So by the time I got back into the office, Marwa and Hani and Anise, my staff, had said, Look what's being sent about you. And for six weeks then, the press was keeping up this beat. My, I was called by name you on the floor of Parliament. I was still in Egypt because the folks in, in Washington said, no, 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 write it out. Oh, wow. Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> How about you write it out? I was like, wait a minute. So you can, there, you, there's articles about it. You can read more about it. But essentially, the U.S. got ticky about this being shut down because it was at USAID money and it was all of this. And, and so representatives in Congress said, well, let's slash some of that $7 billion worth of aid. Well, that didn't make them happier in Egypt either. And I'm in the middle of going, wait, I'm um, in Egypt so here. That? Like, and then finally what happened real quick is what happened six weeks go on, I'm in my office at this point, and every day the papers were coming in to Hanny, because it's all in Arabic, of course, and I didn't read Arabic at that, at that time. And Hanny, my program officer, came to me and he says, Gina, this headline beats it all. And I actually still have a copy of this thing. And it's a picture on the front page, above the fold, with my face and then one of those nice little gun sights, that circle with the crosshairs. And then in Arabic, the, ba the banner headline said, and this is Hanny telling me, 
Well, it says eliminate the spy. No, it's stronger than that. It's, assa it's assassinate the spy. Basically, this is a government fatwa against you. Oh my God. <laughs> this so is when I called the embassy and said, okay, I'm out. And so I, that, and how, how, and in two days out from then, I was out. I, I mean, and thankfully, I got out. Yeah, that's a really stressful. That must be that a really was, stressful. It was more weeks. stressful in hindsight to think, holy cow, that was scary. But were you, uh, I suppose, like those characters in films where things like that is happening, and they are, no, I want to stay, and I want to... No, well, I, initially, initially I wanted to stay because we were making some, we were doing some great work, and we yeah. were really identifying some really great people who wanted to be a part of the change. And unfortunately, they're spring, and now they've got, they're in a mess now, and it didn't go the way we'd all hoped. But it was one of those things where I thought, you know, I don't want to die for my own country, let alone Egypt, when it got that creepy. And so we, yeah, I left. Wow. And now That's I have a, a story. That is a pretty impressive story. And I can't believe that we ended up talking about the Eurovision on Maura and Diamond. <laughs> and then I go on the Today Show and I talk about, you yeah, know, yeah. the Eurovision <laughs> and what Nikki Burns is doing on <laughs> Why not? And well, I was on News Talk this week talking about Brad and Angelina. I mean, it's all so important, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's been absolutely brilliant uh, to talk to you. Thank you, you uh, too. It's been such a pleasure. Please, Yay, uh, put your hands together for the fantastic June in London. Thank you. <laughs> That was the fantastic Gina London. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you will know uh, I've known Lily Higgins for a long time and she is just lovely and completely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant person. She has written two successful cookbooks. She was a judge on The Great Irish Bake Off and she is preparing to launch a new line of raw food and also working on her third book. <laughs> one, of the other, um, one of the other books I have that I absolutely treasure came from my next guest. I wrote an email to Lily Higgins because I thought it would be such a great idea for somebody finally to do a cookbook uh, for people that live on their own. Uh, and I thought, Lily, oh, that'd be perfect. And she even emailed me back and she was just like, how about I manage my own career? Um, <laughs> no, uh, she emailed me back and she said, there is one, there is a great book. Uh, it's by Delia Smith uh, and I bought it. Uh, and I don't remember, if, uh, I don't know if anyone knows this book. It's called One is Fun. <laughs> I don't know, has anyone ever seen that book? Delia Smith, she was, um, she was a very popular chef in, in, the, uh, in the 80s. And she wrote a really, really successful book. And people started to write to her saying, the, the quantities are too big. They're too big. I can't, uh, I can't make your stuff. And she thought, I could cash in on this. <laughs> and she wrote this very smug book. But what's interesting about this book is she's never vague about what she thinks of people that live on their own. All the way through it, like, I'll, just, I'll read you some sections. The section she writes on booze for cooking, which I think is an unnerving section in the cookbook, really. Uh, Dry Sherry is also a very good friend to the solo cook. <laughs> both for use in recipes and to sip while you await the conclusion <laughs> have you ever heard a more grim sentence in your life the conclusion I think that's Delia Smith for the rapture <laughs> but I think the saddest thing like in a, in like a spectacular middle finger to anyone that would buy this book uh, she dedicated it to her husband. <laughs> my thank you to my wonderful husband, and then special thanks, this is really sad, to Mary Cox for her invaluable help in testing all the recipes. <laughs> Poor Mary Cox. What happened to Mary Cox? She probably was eaten by her cats, God love her. Um, 
This was our first go at a live show and the first time is never perfect. So there was a slight mic issue. So it does sound like this next interview with Lily was actually recorded at a different show, but it was just a mic problem. Uh, Lily's interview was recorded from a mic in a different position. So it makes it sound like the audience was much rowdier for her, but she doesn't attract a rough crowd. It was just that the mic was closer to them. So there you go, enough of the tech talk. So back to the show. Sorry, I didn't like the book. I thought it was a good idea. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was. I, I made a few of them. I made a few of them, but they were a little bit. Um, you know, it was all things like baking cakes in a cup. Have you seen that book, Monk Cakes? Yeah, yeah we that? microwave them. I think, and you can actually buy a sachet. Um, it's Doctor Ucker or something. Oh. And, and you just like add water. You don't even need an egg. You just add water, mix it in a mug, microwave it. Yeah. Terrible. What I do if I'm ever cooking on my own is um, which I love doing is uh, make huge batches of things and then just say, I'm just going to freeze it. And then just sit down and just eat it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just say, you know, you could, you could freeze portions. You could, I mean, you don't have to eat eight muffins. You don't have to make all these. You could freeze them. You could give them to friends. You could, but you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. sit down. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, think yeah, about exactly. your problems. That's what I do. Yeah. Just sit down. Do you don't have to take them tray. You can say, I ice them. No, don't say <laughs> Just sit there crying. <laughs> <laughs> But I, uh, I actually interviewed you, only you, I'm actually a bit mortified, because I interviewed you, was it April? Yeah, it was like a few months ago. It, it was probably April. My hair's longer. Uh, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it really is yeah, lovely. Yeah, uh, you had it tied up. Yeah, like, I can't remember, yeah. Oh, time changes. You were in place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually, that was, that was four episodes ago. I, like, I'm so lazy when it comes to podcasts. And, <laughs> like, there are other podcasts that would have done about 16 episodes in that time, but I was like, you know, just four. No, <laughs> you, know, you need to feel it, like, don't you? You need to feel like you want to do them, otherwise it would be kind of forced. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Thank you. We're putting up your creativity. Thank you, Lily. But I, I listened back to it this morning because I didn't want to cover the same ground, and I couldn't, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't believe how aggressive uh, you were about the, the cow 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 cow. <laughs> so, Do you use cow cow? So it, it's cacao. Sorry, cacao. Yeah, and it's, he kept saying cow cow, but I was just talking about raw food and I was talking about like, raw cacao, and he kept saying, but I asked him to shop for cow cow. <laughs> they didn't know what I was talking about. They genuinely about. did look at me that. <laughs> I know, I know you have that, like, I think when you have the North Side Dublin accent, you do have that, like, kind of underprivileged, like, cow cow, go in there and get yourself a Snickers, that'll do, yeah. Yeah, but I think some of the words I say are, you know, I hear my kids repeating the way I say words, and I just think, like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Like that, you know, and then they say, that's the way you say things, so you actually don't know. I know, yeah. Oh, God, I am. Sounds like a baby. When I listened to yours, I thought, like, my voice sounds like a baby. Oh, no, you sound great. You could do a voiceover. Doesn't she have a velvety voice? Velvet voice. Like, I think she has an unbelievable voice. I know, I yeah, it's really impressive. It? Yeah. Like, that's the sad thing when I listen back to this because uh, I always think, you know when you're listening to your own voice, you're just like, oh my God, what is that? And I always think I sound like a camp tuba. That's what I used to say. <laughs> and I remember when I was doing a voiceover demo, I was just like, just not camp tuba. And she's like, oh, you have a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what have you been up to? Um, since April. Since April, yeah. I know yeah, some, like, so you did get I did get married, get yes. Married. You nearly forgot to me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, totally forgot. Um, a month ago, but I'd say it's like the most disruptive thing 
It was crazy because we were talking about, you know, we just want something small and just our friends and family and blah, blah, blah. And of course, something that balloons out massively then, you know. I, I just wanted a big dinner, basically. So we'd all sit around and have a big dinner and I, you know, have an excuse to buy loads of wine, you know. So, um, but we've got three kids, so we were kind of prioritizing different things in it. And we said, yeah, we'll let everyone else bring all their kids and we'll let, it was, it was mayhem for her. <laughs> I got them glow sticks in Tiger, which were brilliant. And <laughs> <laughs> like, all these kids, we were in like a big country house, and all these kids running around in the gardens with glow sticks, you know, so we were like, have you seen toddlers? And like, there's a guy in them over there with glow sticks, and it's kind of stuff up the tree over there. Yeah, it's there. kind of like infrared, just have them yeah. all match. We'll find them. We'll it was brilliant. They were just, um, so the kids had a great time, and we had a great time, and of course they were bawling, and had to leave and everything, but... Yeah. Well, it's because gay marriage came in last year, and my mom ever since has been saying, "So when do you get married?" Pressure. Yeah, I know, and I, I have to keep reminding her that like it's not compulsory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, she is, she's not here about it at all. It's just like we voted for that. <laughs> I think that put a lot of people in depression, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. it really did, because I think what happened was people... Commiss or, you know... Yeah, I mean, it was... Yeah. Couples had to go, are we getting married? And if we're not getting married, why? <laughs> like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. But we were engaged before that came in. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a thing. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Is it all? I I was just wondering about the people that who did the food for your wedding because that must be so much pressure to. Well, no, you see, well, luckily I will eat anything, yeah. so um, yeah, I'm good that way. Um, so, yeah, I think coming from a big family, I eat anything, and then um, since I cook all day, I love when someone else cooks for me. I mean, okay. that's amazing, you know, if, if, if your job is to cook, then, you know, when someone will make you a sandwich, you're like, that is the best sandwich you know, or you know when someone makes it, you know, puts butter on your own toast, you're just like, you just use so much butter and I love that about you, and you know. So when someone else does something for you, it's kind of pathetic, but I love it. But I did get um, the best woman that I know, Eunice Power, she's a Dungar, uh, she's a Dan and Dungar, and you know Eunice Power, she's amazing. Um, so she's like a really cool lady, and she did a pop-up dinner here in um, Idaho Cafe, Cafe, like maybe a few years ago, of all Middle Eastern food. Which is my favourite if you want to ever cook for me. <laughs> um, so that's all my favourite stuff. So she did a top up dinner and just it was all um, huge platters of food to share and everything. So she did that for the wedding. I just straight away emailed her and said, um, you know, oh, wow. getting married in three months. We'd love you there. So it was cool. So it was like everyone's passing around stuff and then, you know, she sort of barbecued stuff outside. So it was like loads of smoke and everything. And, Everyone ate loads, you know, so it was like absolutely gorgeous food. Yeah, it's that's really nice. I'm actually, I must do a blog post about that because I've loads of photographs. The photographer, I was like, just get the food. That's a typical food, a typical foodie person. Is like, take yeah, pictures of the food I just said, take you know, pictures of the food and kind of atmosphere and the flowers and the food. Don't forget the table when the food is on the table. So she's like, okay, okay. So like half the photographs are like of platters of food and stuff, which is what I wanted. Yeah, oh, so the nice. album. Uh, <laughs> a separate album for Lily. Just the food. <laughs> um, one of the things I was, wanted to ask you about because you were a judge on the Bake Off. Yeah. Um, and have you seen what's happening with the Bake Off in the UK at the moment? No. 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 <gasps> no. Well, I do know what's happening there. Yeah. I haven't watched it. Oh yeah. Well, what they yeah. they sold Bake Off. Yeah, they're just tearing it apart. Yeah, they're just ripping it apart. They ripped the heart. Did you, you you've heard of that? They've um, they sold it to Channel 4, but Mary Berry's not going, Mel and Sue's not yeah, going. Yeah. Um, so what is this, you know? It's Paul Hollywood in a big tent. Yeah, which I would say loads of women would love. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those women have been crying out for that exact show Absolutely for years. Perfect. But, um, but I think, you know, you need Mary Barry in it. Yeah. You know? And I think the two girls were brilliant as well. You know, well, you know, I found them sometimes a bit, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Eleanor Tiernan tweeted yesterday that take over from the Bake Off, the comedians Tom Allen and Susie Ruffle. Uh, if you don't know either of them, uh, you should Google them straight away and listen to their podcast, Like Minded Friends, and you will see that they are exactly the people that should be replacing yeah. on the zoo. Like, you know, energy and, you know, yeah. extra, like, you know, they just seem to be kind of, you know. Yeah, they just seem to be And I know much. that I seemed like that as well when I was judging. It's because I had a newborn in the wings. Was it weird watching like, it back? Exhausted. Yeah, it was weird watching it back because, um, you know, they edit everything, you know. So, oh, wait, um, no, I sent, like, I sent great asking questions. Like, sometimes I like, didn't put in questions I didn't ask. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so like, edit stuff, and then, so then, um, Paul, who was my co-host, would say, you know, he would have, like, a million things and jump in, and he's really energetic and so passionate about baking and everything. So he would say all the things, and then it would come to my turn, and I'd say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would agree. Paul was very good. Paul said all the things, like, yeah. I should have just repeated what he said to him. Yeah, they could just chop it. They could have just chopped out his bits. Yeah, he said it better. You know, I could have said it with more passion. You know, like, you know <laughs> it's terrible. You know, whatever it was. Was it hard you know? to be uh, like really critical? Because you know, yeah, you don't want to be critical, or like I don't want to be critical. And you know, I think we need to be encouraging everyone to do everything. You know, we need to be encouraging everyone to bake and encouraging everyone to cook. And you know, it's like the most, you know, it's the most yeah. important skill that you could have. You know, is to be able to cook for yourself. You know. I think it's so important. You know, yeah. Being charged of what you're putting into your body is really, really important. Um, because it fuels everything, you know. So I think, you know, like even my kids, like I want them to be able to even just, you know, put peanut butter on bread if they can't do that when they're three. Oh my God, you know. You're just like, Yeah, you know. So they almost have this time in there all day, you know, fixing things for them. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, it's a bit of independence, you know. Yeah. And I think yeah. with kids as well, like if you teach them how to do things, they're, you know, much more likely to eat us, you know. Yeah. So, like, in those way, people always say, you know, they can't get kids to eat vegetables and everything, but, you know, if you get them involved in it, you know, they will they will do it. Like, you should see them, like, breaking up mushrooms in their hands and stuff, you know, so I'm like, oh, slicing, we're saying slicing, <laughs> they just tear, 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 you know. <laughs> so, um, they just kind of, we have some funny dinners at home, like, based on what they think would be good with this or that, you know, but uh, but it's grand. I remember doing it when I was small as well, you know, being oh, yeah, able to nice. experiment and, and just make colour meat everything, like, you know, my husband was home and saying to me, you know, just... You know, the lads made you this set of a ball of grey pastry, you're going to love it. You oh, know, it's like, oh, it's coming home, like, you know, it's like, yeah. And they were mauling it for two hours. Yeah, exactly. Toddlers, yeah, stop a tantrum, that's really good. Just, I think to just make stuff and say, like, oh, daddy's going to love it. I won't taste it, everything's daddy will love it. Leave <laughs> <laughs> the whole lot in one thing. so happy. <laughs> Because I, I actually, I, uh, when I finished work, I decided, like, the thing that you to do to fill your time. Uh, I decided to bake a cake a week, so I was doing that, like, I know, it's not lovely, it's not Yeah, just did a cholesterol test on Friday, 6.18. I'm absolutely one step from a heart attack. <laughs> um, so what should you use instead of butter? <laughs> this is just a really elaborate way for me to go, help me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Butter, I think butter is brilliant, and... We, um, like, I don't think saturated fat is as bad as people thought it was, you know. People are going back to, you know, whatever your grandmother ate, you should eat. But, like, she would have eaten, like, you know, a sliver of tea brack, whereas we're, like, you know, a block of tea brack and loads of butter. And, yeah. You know, so I suppose it's just we have such abundance, you know. Whereas, um, you know, we can have the same food our grandmother's ate, but we just eat, like, way more of it, you know. That seems to be my thing. Like, I got the Lean 15 books, you know, the oh, yeah. two weeks, you know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's an excuse to have it, like, next to the bed. But the, 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 the gorgeous. Yeah. 
Oh, like the cover tonight. of the yeah. Thing, yeah. I mean, I heard the book isn't like I heard the rest of the price is not great. No, you know what? It's actually really good because um, they're very basic, very simple. You know, like five ingredients. I think they're good recipes for busy people. You know, when you're trying to stay healthy, uh, but you, you know, you don't want to keep preserving the pasta and stuff. So I think they're very good like that. You know. All oh, right. So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting married. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're good, and they're good for people who, you know, people who are into fitness but are kind of nervous about, you know, people are nervous in the kitchen life. You know. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, like my little sister was saying, you know, she's 18 and she's saying, I'm going to cook for everyone on Friday night, you know. Is it like, yeah. you know, my parents and her friend were coming over. And I was saying, what are you going to cook? And she was like, I don't know. And she had loads of books in her room, like with the stickies on everything. And I was saying, just make some, you know, make whatever you want. Like, just, you know, yeah. she's in a panic, you know, she had to like be driven to the shop to get the ingredients. <laughs> and, you know, she, and my mother was like, Aggie's cooking, you know, Aggie's cooking. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. I know, <laughs> I know, you know, like the poor thing. So I think you just need to do it and not think about it and don't worry about it and don't panic about it and just, you know. I, see, I always worry about the implication like, of what you're eating, like, for your health. Because I, I think yeah. that cookery books, they're divided into, I think, just two categories. Don't get cancer. Uh, like those books, and then the other category is have a heart attack. Yeah, I know. Um, you and I, just treat yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yourself. <laughs> yeah. I love those books. Yeah. Um, and the, when you go to the gym as well, the um, you think you're being healthy, but the stuff that they tell you to eat, you're kind of going that. It's is, boring. Yeah, it's yeah. like boil up ten chicken breasts, they last one. Yeah, and have a high fat diet. Yeah. Well, high fat diet is kind of fun, but then, you know, you can get kind of confused then and do the high fat and then also sort of, you know, slip into low carb afternoons. You know, I have high carb afternoons, you know, I have high fat breakfast and then I sort of slip back oh, right, into my okay. carb ways. Like, if you're going high fat, you can't do high carb as well, you know, it just doesn't work because I did it for a while. But that's an idea life. It's like it's a pile of bacon in the morning and a cake in the afternoon. Exactly. <laughs> 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 That's not the right way to do it. Like, and then you go in and get like, oh, my arms look ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's very confusing. I think loads of cookbooks nowadays are lifestyle books, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you're flicking through and you think you want to like, cook and it's just like someone sitting in a meadow, you know? It's like, you know, yeah. there's like a picnic basket next to her and she's just like, no, and it's like, there's no food in the picture, first of all, you know, and yeah. it's not actually teaching me anything. I need things yeah. to use. I need to actually use it, you know? So, so there are loads of cookbooks out there that are lifestyle and you know they're so aspirational as well you just you know you look through and you just go oh you know yeah sophie dahl has a couple of books i wish i had kitchen i wish i had marvin county shops and i wish i had yeah 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 they just rent those kitchens to do those shows and they just i know that's so annoying yeah but you when you did fancy vittles with maeve i honestly that was genuinely your kitchen yeah that was my kitchen at the time yeah it was absolutely amazing that was like a little rented cottage um in christine cove it's gorgeous you know we had to move out then we had our second little boy because there just wasn't enough room and stuff um, but it was a beautiful cottage, and we just just the morning that we started filming, we just went to the local local woods and just like you know took loads of stuff. Like I was doing set design, which basically meant to make and I was like, oh, this looks wrecked to me. So then I um, I just went to like pick loads of ferns and stuff, and we just did it up and stuck doilies everywhere and stuff. But it was cool because we just did whatever we wanted for that. You yeah, know? it was brilliant. Yeah, I remember when really when that was uh, when I found it, Maeve said that it wasn't coming back. Thinking, mm. Oh dear, that bones really badly for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was, it was such a brilliant show. Like, it was yeah, just... well, apparently, RT were looking to commission a really similar type show to Fancy Littles, which, you know, to me is. With the show, it's <laughs> my adventure with the show, it's <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their hair is just so shiny. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah. 
Yeah, but they, were, they wanted to commission something very like it. Yeah, they were, that's how they were sort of pitching it. was like, you know, if anyone has something similar to that. <laughs> <laughs> Our national broadcaster, ladies and gentlemen. We could recommission fancy goggles. It's, it's kind of a risk, like, isn't it? To do something new, it's a risk for them, you know. And, it, you know, it might be like two years later then they realise... Oh, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they watched it on YouTube and they were not aware. But, like, luckily, anyway, we've all moved on. We've all moved on, yeah. <laughs> I'm still taking quite badly. <laughs> but uh, you, you trained at Ballyloo, um, yeah. which that always sounds like such an idyllic experience, but I imagine it's an awful lot of hard work. But no, it, like, it was really idyllic. I think, so I did my leaving there when I was 16, so then Mammy was saying, like, this is great, now you've got a head start, you can do loads of stuff, you know, so I was like, yeah. So then I did, like, a year of animation, I did a year of, um, you know, St. John's College here is brilliant in Cork. Um, and Stephen Ava is brilliant as well, I went to them as well. And so I just was like, I don't even know what I want to do, you know, sort of way. And so then, then I did graphic design in CIT. So I did my degree there, did graphic design. And then after like six years of art and everything, I was like, yeah, it's definitely food is what I love, actually. <laughs> so, um, so that was really frustrating for my parents, I'd say. Because um, when I met Colin, we were saying we'd love to open a seafood restaurant in Cove because it's the next can fail. And has been for the last 50 years. <laughs> nearly getting there. And so we were saying we'd love to open a seafood restaurant there, so then I went to Balamaloo, then to do the 12 week course and to learn how to have a restaurant. But then I just realised it would be really hard to have a restaurant. So yeah. I was like, actually, no. Um, so then I just learned, I just loved the food styling element of it there, you know. Um, and it's really good, like, because they teach you all the basics, like, the very, very first day you make soup, you know, you have to chop all the vegetables really small, and it's just, it's just a brilliant, like, grounding. And it just gives you, you know, if you love food, then, you know, fine, you can do whatever you want, but then it just gives you the confidence to sort of, you know, so I started the blog then after that, because yeah. I was thinking like, you know. And then you did, that, it was the book came directly from the blog. Yeah, exactly. So I started doing like pop-up suppers and stuff in Dublin, because um, Rady and Maeve, my other two sisters, were living in Dublin, and they had they lived in a big old church, you know. That so was, you were there. You know, I, I, I was actually went to those pop-up suppers. Have you ever been to a pop-up supper? It's one of the most incredible experiences. Like, just from my point of view, yeah. it, it was somebody is out in a restaurant in their house, for a night. <laughs> that sounds absolutely amazing. But yeah. my boyfriend, he is he's completely the opposite, like because he works in science and he's really <laughs> grand. He was like, Well, I'm sure the HSE will have something to say about it. <laughs> 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 Does they wash their hands? They wash their hands? Yeah. yeah, thank God we were like to the HSE they didn't um but the girls always said that to me, they were always like, but like what about insurance? And I was like, just do it, like, there's like fifty people coming in an hour, so just relax. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so we I had the blog and then kind of wanted to do a bit more than share recipes, wanted to actually cook for people. So um so then I just said to the girls, Can we just try it? Because I've sold fifty tickets, so can we just try it <laughs> in your recipes? So um yeah, so just got all my sisters to sort of um wait with it and just cook all the stuff and we get stuff in the English market to drive up and do dinner for people and we ended up doing them on um, once a month but on like Fridays and Saturdays. Well then since it's in no church we call it loaves and fishes. <laughs> yeah. We had like the first supper and then we had the last supper then just before I had my own <laughs> <laughs> it could be resurrected at any stage, but I don't know. Um, yeah, we were actually planning on doing some sort of supper for um, for Syrian, like supper for oh, Syria cool. before Christmas, so I'm going to keep updated. I'd like to do one. Yeah, you have a mailing list, don't you? No. Oh, did you know? I don't know. I'm sure it's on there. Oh, well, okay, yeah. I know, because the mailing list is a big commitment, isn't it, you know? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Mailing lists, uh, I, I thought I had a mailing list. 
and I sent a mail, an email about uh, the show I was doing, Dublin Fringe, and I sent it to everybody that was on the mailing list. And I thought I had 25 people on my mailing list. Um, but it turns out there was about 1,500. So I was like, oh, what okay. <laughs> Just been an upswing. Well, you put a bit of things in your mailing list. Well, I sent it, and most of them are bots. And then oh. Google banned me from my Gmail account because I was sending spam to people. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, oh, I was getting angry. Like, I think something had subscribed loads of people that had no interest whatsoever in me and had subscribed them to my mailing yeah. list. So I was getting really angry email messages. Oh, I don't want to know about your bloody show. And then it would be account executive, uh, Minnesota. Oh. You know. yeah. <laughs> but did they show up? No, no. Not even flowers, Lily. Not even flowers. Um, yeah. So I'm starting, but I need to just um, be more, you know, I'm not as committed to all my social media things as I should be. Yeah, but it's know. hard. It's, it's hard. It's like another job, you know. Because yeah. my sister was saying you need to go on Snapchat, and I was like, that's like a whole other job then. To it is. You know. yeah. The happy pair are unbelievable. Yeah, because two of them are keep playing to people. They do that. How the happy pair on Instagram? Yeah. It's worth, they're, they're vegan foodies and they have books and stuff but 90% of the posts are them uh, doing handstands in their underpants on the beach. But I will say as well, like, I mean one of them had a new baby the other day. Oh wow. Yeah, but and then it was like three days later he's back to work and he's amazing. You know? <laughs> so, I'm just yeah, how did he Being a father and he work, so I, I will say And he got his figure back so fast yeah, that he was doing all the handstands. So, so it is kind of different for women and men still. Yeah, it is. I would say. Yeah. So, you know, every now and again, I'm just like, oh my God, I have to focus. And then every now and again, there's like, you know, three kids there. Just being like, oh, I'm hungry. You know, so it's kind of a, yeah. you know, balance, a very fine balance. I kind of, I kind of have, uh, I do have a little bit of latent aggression towards Happy Pear because I made their vegan truffles and I choked on a goji berry. So delicious. <laughs> um, but before, before I let you go, because uh, we're nearly done, um, if, if you had to pick one cookbook, like if there was just one that you could have, um, yeah. uh, what one would it be? Well, absolutely apart from my own two cookbooks. Yeah, but that would be mine. Yeah, whatever. That would be mine, yeah. The hardest I've done, the hardest I've done. It would be um, probably the Battle of the Big Silver one. I think oh, right. people for, you know, age and presents and, you know, birthdays. And, like, I do buy people a lot, like the Big Silver one. Because it's kind of everything in it. It's kind of, you know, so it's not like you wouldn't get any sort of crazy recipes if you're looking for okay, crazy yeah. this and that or anything. But you would guess, and um, you know, like if if someone gifts you a leg of lamb, you know, what do you do? Like you just go, oh, you know. So I think for for things which I have been gifted. Have you been gifted a leg of lamb? I would be so good if somebody gave you a leg of lamb. Really, like Amazon, like actually, you can get a leg of lamb. Or these PR companies look for your address and they're like, you know, we want to send you a present from you, and then it's a big bag, it's a ham, you know. I remember that was like the most horrific poster, like, oh, you know. So it's when there's ice packs around it and stuff, you know, you need to start panicking. Um, but yeah, I think the Balladuce book is really, really good to buy, um, and there's kind of everything in it. But yeah, but it's, it's kind of a good all rounder, like that's the type of book that you want, isn't it? You know? I, I do, I like Nigella Lawson as well. Like, do, do, oh my god. Yeah, but I always find it's so much writing before you get to the, you know. Yeah, but um, also the recipes are so tiny. Like, some of the recipes there. are like really small and simple. Like, she would say things like, Make toast, put avocado on it. Yeah. Luxuriating deliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
be real. There'll be tongue to that. Before. But it's good because she, she told me those things. Her verbs are good, aren't they? Yeah, they're really, really good. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. Married with love of love. Yeah. She does something about like something about pebbles. There was a verb that was kind of pebbly. Oh, that was, was like um, putting butter in flour and food processor to like pebbles on a beach. That's yes, that's what it was. was. We're making yeah. mince pies. Mince pies. Uh, yeah, I think so. It was the one where she was like in her kitchen and she's wearing like a leather coat and like. <laughs> <laughs> Are you warm, Nigella? You're warm. Um, well, listen, it's been lovely to speak thank to you. you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being a guest. Uh, it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you all very much for coming. Um, this episode will be online uh, by Christmas. <laughs> um, but you've been absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Gina London and Lily Higgins there. What a pleasure it was to talk to both of them. I think we all had a lovely afternoon. Uh, they are on Twitter as at Lily Higgins and at the Gina London. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a lovely review on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can email fascinated at headstuff.org. Thanks to Lily, to Gina and of course to Lulu London for being impeccably well behaved. Also thanks to the lovely audience and tech guys at the Cork Opera House. A very special thanks to Jane Russell, who is the boss of the Cork Comedy Festival. She's the lady in charge and it was her idea to do a live recording in the first place. And if I'm honest, I thought it was going to be an absolute disaster. But she was right. We all had a blast. And I'm actually in the process of sorting out a show in Dublin now. Um, I'll have more information on that soon, but I have confirmed a brilliant, brilliant guest. Uh, I'm really delighted with that. So um. More information uh, in the next the next fascinating episode. Don't forget to check out the other shows on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I've just been listening to the Alison Spittle Show and it's absolutely brilliant. They also have a new one which just dropped this week called Reviewables, so make sure and have a little listen. As usual, I'll be hosting the Headstuff Lecture Series um, and we will have another show on the 5th of October. And there's a great lineup of lectures there, so check it out. And it's always worth having a look at the early bird tickets for that because it does sell out. Right, so that's it for me. There'll be a new episode very soon. Thank you for listening. This is the awkward moment where I'm just going to say, collecting my soul. <laughs> it's not that I don't trust you, but that is my laptop. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. What's the room again? Uh, 1240, down at the end. Ooh, what's that? Sammy, don't touch that. That's someone's old food. Here we are. Do you have the key? You have both of ours. Oh, right. Not working. Rub it. Come on. Try flipping it over. Seriously. Why can't we go inside? I'm tired. Give me yours. You have mine. All right. Please, if you could just... Dad, why aren't you opening the door? Can everyone just shut the... Don't go there. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing. Learn more at GoRVing.com.